Good morning, Dorisville. We are so glad that you're here today, and we mean that. We, for those of us visiting maybe the first time or kind of the first time, we've been in a series of messages entitled The Weather Channel. Now, we remember that The Weather Channel on television is the most popular channel to be watched, and one of their segments is called Your Local on the Age and Your Local Weather, How It Affects Your Life. Well, we took a spin off of that and said the Weather Channel, W-H-E-T-H-E-R, your local on the 12s. And we're talking about the fact that in Genesis and in Romans and Hebrews and Acts, all chapter 12, there's some valuable teaching that applies to our life asking the question whether we will follow God, whether we will yield our lives to God, whether we will run the race, or today, whether we will trust God. It all started back in, in Genesis 12, where we talked about a guy named Abram, who was a pagan, and God invited, or excuse me, God invited Abram into a relationship and on a journey. And Abram did that. Abram did exactly that. He came into a relationship by faith. He was a pagan. By faith, God counted that as righteousness, applied that righteousness to his life, and began a journey of following God. He wasn't perfect. I mean, he messed up royally several times, but he, by faith, decided to follow God. And we really capitalize on that relationship and journey. And we said something that was probably disturbing to some people. I can't find in the Bible where you claim a relationship and there's no journey. That's just not there. It's just a natural response when there's a relationship. There will be really the journey, and that journey is following God all the way through life. And then we went to Romans chapter 12. And we talked about his love and our response to his love by this. I beseech you, Paul said, I urge you, I beg you, because of the mercies or because of the love of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Our response to God's great rescue plan of him providing his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins is present ourselves living sacrifices. It's only reasonable that we do that. Then last week we talked about running the race. Seeing we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience, with endurance, the race that is set before us, and looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And, and we talked about laying aside weights. Any runner knows that you want to be as slim down as possible. And the word weight there literally meant bulge. And a heavy runner has a harder time than a lighter runner. Okay? And, and also the sin that so easily entangles us when we talked about besetting sins. It seems like most people have a sin that they're real susceptible to stumbling into. And Paul says, lay those things aside so you can run as easily and as quickly as you can. And that brings us to today about trusting God. I put on the marquee this week, I think something that I hope was a real hook and caused people to stop and think. And that was this. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? And by the way, the answer is yes. Amen? The answer is yes. But I really want to take a hard look at that today and see really what that means. So take your Bibles, please. And turn to Acts and chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. I think personally, this is one of the most incredible scriptures in the New Testament. It really is. Now, now we're going to have the scriptures on the screen. We'll have them on a sermon sheet that's inside your bulletin. But I hope you brought your copy of the Word of God. And I'm really struggling today because my Bible died. It, it, um, it had a split spine, so I had to get a new one. And this one is not broke in. And it wants, as I laid it on the, on the uh, podium, it wants to close. 
And you know, it's nothing like a good broken in pair of jeans, and it's nothing like a good broken in Bible. Amen? So I hope your Bible's really broken in today. All right? Can God be trusted? And here's what I want to say right off the top of the, of the message. Can God be trusted? Yes, He can be trusted to be God. He can be trusted to be God. And, and, and as you walk through life, and as you journey with God, this is something in Western culture that we're having a hard time understanding. And I just want to start off with, with Romans chapter 8, and verse 28, a very popular scripture. It says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So God can be trusted not to do what we want always, not to be our genie in a bottle. He's just not. He can be trusted to be God. So in Acts chapter 12, we got our four points today. An unbelievable report, an unbelievable rescue, an unbelievable response, and finally, an unbelievable reunion. Now let's look first. This is incredible scripture. Now, now listen. Time out. I'm going to stretch you. You're, you're going to struggle with this today. Some will say no problem, but most of us to some degree are going to struggle with what you're fixing to hear. So I'm asking you to keep an open heart, open mind, and say, okay, God, what does this mean? How does it apply to my life? Well, here's what the Bible says. First, an unbelievable report. About that time, okay, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, John's brother, with a sword. Let me read it again. About that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belong to the church. Now, these aren't like folks who don't belong to God. These are folks who are in the church. He's talking about the body of Christ there. And he killed James, John's brother, with a sword. Now, now this is a question generator. This is a question. This should generate, should generate instantly some thoughts in your mind, some questions in your mind. Like, for instance, who's Herod? Who's Herod? Well, there's a line of Herod starting in the day of Jesus, starting with Herod the Great, and, and none of them were any good. I mean, there was not a good Herod in the bunch. All right? This particular Herod was famous. His claim famous. You're going to see it in the scripture in just a moment. You're going to see that he was a, what we call in the Air Force, a brown noser. I don't know of a term that would be, you know, that you might identify with. But basically, he wanted to curry the affection, the favor of the Jews. He himself was part Jew, and so as king, appointed by Rome, as king, he wanted to curry the favors of the Jews because it profited him, because as long as there was peace in Jerusalem and in that area, Rome was happy. So what he'd do is he'd do things that pleased the Jewish people. All right? Now, question number two. Who is James? Well, there are three James that are basically mentioned in the Bible. First off, there's this guy named James of Alphaeus. Now, now, James of Alphaeus, we know really nothing about. He, he made the team roster. You know, he's listed with the 12 you know, original apostles, but there is nothing written about him. Okay? So, he made the roster. That's all we know. And then there's a James that was the half-brother of Jesus. He's mentioned at the end of this sermon. That particular James didn't even come to faith until after Jesus died and resurrected. You can imagine being Jesus' brother. I don't care what you tell me, Jesus. I don't care what you do. I'm your brother, and I'm just having a hard time wrestling that. You're God. You're God. So he wrestled with that. But after the resurrection, he came to faith, and he became the leader, the elder, 
of the Jerusalem church. Now, this James, the James we talk about that dies in this situation, is James, all right, the brother of John, and Jesus' nickname, the Sons of Thunder. So he was a fisherman, and one day he followed Jesus Christ. Jesus came by to him and John and said, Hey, I want you to follow me. And they left behind their boats and their nets and their, and their dad Zebedee, and they followed Jesus Christ. Incredible. Now, here's the cool part. This guy, James and John, and Peter, made up the inner circle. They were the tight-knit group around Jesus. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if they need special care. I don't know if Jesus said, these guys really need some extra help. I'm going to bring them close to me. I don't know if Jesus identified their personality. I don't know what it was because, like, Peter messed up regularly. And James and John were famous for, like, saying things like, would you like for us to call fire down upon these people? You know, not very Jesus-like. I don't know why. But I do know this. When Jesus raised the little girl from the dead... He told everybody to stay down, but Peter, James, and John. When Jesus was in the garden praying before he was crucified, he told the boys, you stay here and pray. Hey, you, inner circle, Peter, James, and John, you come and pray with me a little bit further. I, I know that there were crucial times. When, when Jesus was mount, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's up on the mountain, and they actually saw Jesus in his glorified state on that mountain. Peter, James, and John, the other nine were the bottom. I don't know. But he was in the inner circle. Now, here's the deal. Here's James in the inner circle, and Herod murders him. Now, you guys say, what? What? I, I, wait, wait, time out. Like, I kind of thought, like, you know, when you knew God real well, and you know, when you, know, you, know, when, when you like really were tight with God, that bad things didn't happen. I mean, I heard a preacher on TV say that. He said, you know, boy, actually, I've heard you say that before, you know, back a long time ago. You know, you know just, just follow God, and everything will be okay. Actually, I never said that. But you hear pastors on TV who'll say, just follow Jesus. You'll never get sick. You'll get to drive Cadillacs. you get lots of money. You won't lose your job. And the bottom line is, as you can tell this scripture, that's just not true. What? The inner circle? And, and they die? And, and that's got to lead you to the next question that, you know, where was God when this was going on? Where was God? Because, listen, if the inner circle, one of the members of the inner circle can get dead at the hand of Herod, God must have been, like, on vacation, maybe? Was he, like, in Florida? Was he, like, down the Mediterranean on the beach? What was God doing? Was he on vacation? Good news. We get stressed out. We need vacation. Nothing stresses God out. Amen? Nothing stresses God. He wasn't on vacation. Huh. Maybe he was taking a nap. Maybe it's been a long day and he just needed to take a little nap. Great news. The Bible proclaims, He who keeps you does not sleep or slumber. God does not need a nap. Well, well, maybe like, well, maybe he was like, I don't know, maybe he was outgunned. Maybe, you know, Herod was the king. And and maybe because he was the king, he was more powerful than God. Maybe God could stop him. What God do you serve? Some wimpy wimpy dude named Herod is no match for the God that we serve. So that leads to the logical question. Okay, well, if he wasn't on vacation and he wasn't taking a nap and he wasn't out gone, 
What was he doing? What was he thinking? Well, you know, there's a great scripture in Isaiah 55, verse 9, where God says, My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts, said the Lord. You know, God is a whole lot smarter than we are. God, God thinks bigger than we do, okay? And here's the deal. What was God doing? Now, this is where you're going to start to struggle. He was being God. He was being God. Now, listen to me. God, I've said this before, and I'm afraid it's growing old, but you've got to grasp it. We've got to learn what I'm fixing to teach you. God is not your Santa Claus. God is not your tooth fairy. God is not your Easter bunny. God, listen carefully, God is not your genie in a bottle. You rub him the right way and you get what you want. God is God. What was he doing? I think I remember this pastor doing saying something about if God had a to-do list. That that to-do list would have two things on it. And it's both are so scriptural. One, God says on my to-do list, number one, I will bring glory to my name. Number two, I'm going to bring people into the kingdom through my son, Jesus Christ. Well, what was he doing? He was bringing glory to his name. And I promise you through the centuries, people have been brought into the kingdom of God even with this scripture. But we wrestle with this. Because in our Western culture, we've been taught that all we have to do is ask God, and well, certainly He's going to do everything we want. Because God is good, and God is gracious, and God is loving. And God is good, and God is gracious, and God is loving. But He also is God. And God is working to bring glory to His kingdom. Does anybody right now just want to resign? I know I could take that 10% and do something else with it. That new Ford F-250 pickup, that would go a long way to making the payment. You know, I, I don't, that's not exactly what I signed up for. You know, the preacher, a preacher, you preacher, that's not what I signed up for. Well, before you resign, okay, let me just share just a couple of scriptures with you. All right, there's this incredible one right here. And again, because I got this new Bible, I, I cheated and wrote them out. Listen to James chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not be deceived. My, oh, in other words, James recognized. This is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of Jerusalem. And, and he's saying, now listen, it's easy to get deceived. Deceived how? It's easy to be deceived that God's your Santa Claus. It's easy to be deceived that God's your Easter bunny, that God's your tooth fairy, or that God's your genie bottle. Rub him the right way, and you get what you want. It's easy to be deceived. Listen. When we go through hard times, anybody here been through a hard time? Yeah, yeah. It's awful easy in the midst of a hard time to ask these questions and go, What are you doing, God? Where are you, God? God, I thought you were alive. And James says, Don't be deceived. And here's what he says Every good gift, say every good gift. Yeah, yeah. Every good gift and every perfect gift. Say perfect gift. Yeah. And you know where they come from, according to James? Comes from above. And be more specific, it said this. 
and comes down from the Father of lights. So James says every gift, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from God. And whom, he says, there's no variation, there's no shadow turning. That God can be trusted to be God. And, and, and let me go back over Romans 8, 28 one more time. And we know. Say no. Now, now, now you got that? There's a certainty there. And we know that all things work together for good. Now, time out. That doesn't mean everything's good. You know, when death strikes a loved one, when illness comes, when you lose your job, those things, those may not be good. But God has the incredible ability to bring good from difficult circumstances. That's the promise. Not that everything is good, but that God brings good out of these circumstances. In the case of a loss of a loved one, someone might be good saved. In case of a loss of a job, you may learn to trust God like you never have before. In case of an illness, you may experience a miracle. But those things happen. Those happen when we're put in these circumstances. Dwayne, does these things are these things caused by God? Well, sometimes God's the instigator. I won't lie to you. The Bible teaches that. But here's what I want to promise you today as your pastor. Everything is father-filtered. This idea, this concept that Satan can strike you without going to the Father, is foreign to Scripture. Satan does not have absolute authority or power. God does. God does. And so when things come, know at least it was filtered, if you want to use the word aloud, by the Father. And it's a good thing in the sense that He's going to bring glory to His name and God will bring good, perhaps even in your life or in someone else's life. Alright? There's another Scripture. In Psalm 56, 9... When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. And this I know, because God is for me. Say, God is for me. He is not, listen, He's not against you. He's not, if you're a believer, now I'm talking believers, He's not angry at you, He's not mad at you, He doesn't like, He didn't like Peter better than James. You know, seems like you're protected and I'm not. That's, that's not true. God is for you. But as a member of his kingdom, he's working to bring glory to his name and people into his kingdom. I don't mean this harshly. I don't. Because, by the way, I struggle. I get a cold and I think God doesn't love me. All right? But I am certain, I am certain that God loves me. And no matter what you're going through right now, God has not abandoned you. God loves you. God, here's, here's the hard part. God is so much more interested in making you holy than happy. And by the way, when you see the word happy is the man, it's blessed is the man. It's not the worldly concept of happiness. It's a blessedness from God. It's a blessedness from God. Alright? Now, let's read a little bit further. About that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, the John's brother, with the sword. Okay, now watch this. It's going to get a little bit harder. Okay? The Bible goes on and says, verse 3, When he saw it pleased the Jews. Remember, he's a people pleaser. He's a Jew pleaser. When he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too. This is the second member of the inner circle. Okay? He arrested Peter too during the days of unleavened bread. After the arrest, 
He put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. Whoa. So first he takes James' life, and then he arrests Peter. And if you're there, you're going, wait a minute, now, whoa, whoa, whoa. James, okay, okay, we'll give you James. But now Peter's arrested. God, where are you? What are you doing? I mean, these are your guys. These are your homeboys. Come on. And Herod, I guess because these boys have a habit of getting in jail and getting out of jail. You get me? You know, read the book of Acts. He assigns four soldiers, four squads with four soldiers each. So they're running six hours shifts. Okay? And we're going to hear in just a moment that apparently one was on each side with chains on each hand and two guarded the door. Now, what's God going to do about this? I mean, James died. We just naturally assume that Peter's going to die. Don't ever assume or presume upon God. Okay? Don't presume or assume about God. Because the truth is, and let me just pause here. I told you. I promised you in Africa that Tuesday night when that little girl was laying there dying. There are some people saying, God... I know you're going to deliver the situation. I know you are. And I'll be honest with you, I was there going, how are we going to plan the funeral? I presumed that it wasn't going to happen because it seemed somehow logical to me. I was wrong. Amen? I was just wrong. I missed the situation. We're going to see that in a moment, too. And by the way, just another thought. Do you think they were praying for James? Yeah, they were praying for James. That prayer got answered like totally weird. He died. What was God thinking? What was God doing? Being God. Bringing glory to His name. Bringing people into His kingdom. That's what God was doing. An unbelievable report. And that leads us now to this really unbelievable rescue. Check this out. On the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution. Check Down to the wire. A guard on each side with chains. Two guards guarding the door. The night before he's going to be executed. It looks like an impossible situation. And would you look with me please. Incredibly, what is Peter doing? Still a survey. How many of you, if you knew tomorrow morning... They were going to take you out where they'd just taken your best friend and take a sword and lob your head off. You've got two guards here, two at the door, you're in chains. How many of y'all be sleeping? Come on, be honest. Uh-uh. I'm up praying. I'm up agonizing. I'm writing last wills and testaments. Okay? I'm worrying. I'm fretting. I'm losing hair by the handfuls. And what doesn't turn loose turns gray. Peter's sleeping. Ever wonder why? He got it. He understood what I'm trying to teach you today. He had that incredible peace that there was going to be a jailbreak. There was going to be a jailbreak. See, what we don't understand 
in that a few days before, when James was ushered into the kingdom of God, physically, spiritually, there was a jailbreak. On that moment, when the sword came down and lobbed off his head, absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. James went from being in jail here to be in the glorious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter understood that either A, tomorrow he was going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Y'all aren't saying amen very much. Tomorrow he was going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or he was going to be delivered. Do you remember a story back in Daniel chapter 3? Three Hebrew boys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were servants of the king. They were in exile in Babylon. And the king built this big old statue and said, Everybody's got to fall down and worship the statue. And everybody did. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had called for the king. king gave them a hard time to go and said, But listen, because I like you, I'm going to give you another chance. So we're going to sound the trumpet again. And if you fall down and worship the big golden idol signifying that I'm God... Everything will be cool. What do you say? Here's their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, and he does, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But if he does not rescue us, we want you, to, you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue you set up. They said, listen, God can either physically rescue us or if we go into the furnace and die, we're set free anyway. They knew there was going to be a jailbreak. And I'm speaking to believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, God is in control. God is in control. He is busy being God. And if, if you should lose your life, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If He delivers you, then you have a stronger testimony. Either way, God receives the glory. He was just simply being God. Have you ever thought about this? Has anyone here yet saying, that seems a little unfair. It's kind of like the time when the, the, the uh, chicken came to the pig and said, What do you say we have breakfast tomorrow? I'll provide the eggs, you provide the ham. Anyone here say that sounds a little bit fair? James got his head lopped off and Peter's going to get to walk free. We're going to hear the story in just a moment. That doesn't seem fair. Seems a little unbalanced. I was sitting there this morning and I said, if you want fair and balanced, check out Fox News. See, God's not necessarily fair. Let's be honest. If we deserve fair, we'd all be spending eternity in hell. That's fair. But because He wasn't fair, because of His amazing grace, He provided a way that we could be rescued. And we don't have the wisdom to know about balance. We don't have the wisdom to know what's working out. So be careful when you say, his life is so easy and mine's so hard. Cool, cool. Just cool it. I will say this. 
I've heard, and I believe it, that God chooses our journey carefully. And if God has entrusted you with suffering, He believes that with His help you can handle that suffering. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great example of that in World War II with the Nazi regime. You can trust God to be God. And when the time comes, whether it's life or whether it's death, you can trust God. So I left out three verses, not because they were hard. They're very simple verses. I was just out of space on the sermon sheet. So the bottom line is, let me tell you what happened. Let me read real quick. Starting verse number 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up and said, Quick, get dressed. The chains fell off his rest. Get dressed, the angel told him. Put on your shoes. And he did so. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. And he follows him. Right out. The doors open. I mean, they walk out in total freedom. Is that incredible or what? How cool. What a, what a rescue. And again, you say, that don't sound very fair. Why did he do that for James? Because God's ways are higher than our ways. And God's course for James included him going to heaven on that particular day. Peter would see heaven another day. By the way, tradition says, crucified upside down. Okay, so Peter's now free. And we have this incredible, unbelievable response. Watch this. Look at verse number 11. When Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all the Jewish people expected. I mean, it's like, wow, this really happened. Okay? When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He goes to the prayer meeting. Now remember, there's a prayer meeting going on on his behalf. So he goes to the prayer meeting. Alright? Now what's this? This is, this is like way incredible. He knocked on the door in the gateway and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. Okay? She recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. This is a very appropriate response. Here she is in the prayer meeting, and I've got a feeling probably Rhoda was saying, God, this is what we want. You know Peter's in jail. We know you know that. And God, we, we pray for his deliverance. And I just got to think it's a special. Rhoda probably said something like, but God, just like, just like our Savior, not our will, but thy will be done. And Rhoda, Rhoda didn't, wasn't like the preacher in Africa and say, it ain't going to happen. She said, it's fair and balanced. God, I'm trusting you. And whether you deliver Peter or whether you don't physically deliver Peter, there's going to be a jailbreak. And God, I trust you. A very appropriate response. And I started praying in my prayer life. God, it's your call. This is what I want. God, this is what I like to see happen. But God, it's your call. It's so much like Jesus when we pray that way. He's facing the cross. And he said, Father, if there's any way, let it happen. But if not, not my will, but thy will be done. That's how the Bible teaches us to pray. God, it's your call. You're God. I'm not. Bring glory to your name the best way you know how. And this is like so countercultural to us. Because we want to keep our loved ones. We want that job immediately. We want the, uh, the uh, economy turned around. We want $3 a gallon gas. We want these things. But remember something. We are a people of faith. And you've got to have faith 
to trust God. Trust Him. And see, Peter realized, and James, I'm sure, realized, that this life is not all there is. On, on this side, on the other side of our 60, 70, 80, or 90 years, is a whole eternity to live and stand with Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that today? That's crucial, guys. If you believe all there is is this life, you're going to be really disappointed in God a whole lot. You really will be. Because God sees the big picture, and that's a very little picture, when all I can see is this. So Rhoda's response was totally accurate, totally right. Man, Peter's at the door, and she runs back. And I'm going to show you the most inappropriate response I've ever heard. She gets there, and the response is this. You're crazy. <laughs> Come on, you got to laugh. Don't you love the Bible? You're crazy. They responded to her. You're nuts. Now, this is going to be encouraging to you, too. David's going to ask this question on Wednesday night, I think. I'm going to ask it now and beat it to the gun. It was my question to start with anyway. Does God's action depend way on totally my action? In other words, if I don't get it done, can God not get it done? You really don't believe that, do you? I mean, I, I used to think, oh, 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 if I don't preach right Sunday, all of Georgesville or all of Cobden first, I'm all, it's all going to fall apart. God's going, Dwayne, get over yourself. Do you really think it all hinges on you anyway? Have you not figured out that I am creator God? That I'm omnipotent and I'm all powerful and you're just a small part of the puzzle. Dwayne, you can give it a flower on my face and I'm still going to accomplish my purposes. You're crazy. Peter, Peter didn't walk because of the prayer meeting. It proves that when their, their interpretation of the prayer meeting was, you're nuts. He's still in prayer. They're praying, oh God, Oh, God, deliver Peter. God, deliver Peter. Set him free, God. And when Peter shows up, the woman who comes to say he's at the door, you're nuts. I like Peter Road going, isn't that what you've been praying? You're crazy. It wasn't, Peter wasn't released because of the prayers. He's released because of God's will. God being God and bring glory to his name and bring people to the kingdom. I'm telling you, your prayer life is more about intimacy with you and God. Say, God, this is what we desire, but God is your call. And I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. And I guess we'll better. She kept on insisting that was true. You don't understand. Peter's at the door. You know, they finally said, they finally conceded. And said, these are great people of faith. It is his angel. Now let me explain what that means. The Jewish people believed that when a person died, his angel hung around a while. So their answer was, not that just maybe God did something miraculous, but it was all over. It was done. She's right. Peter is at the door, but it's not Peter, it's his angel. Peter's been beheaded. He's dead. Don't you want these people praying for you? I mean, don't you want that, you know? 
I think it's incredulous that they have this prayer meeting going on. And the Bible describes it as earnest prayer. But when God does something like, whoops, we're surprised. How incredible is that? I really want to encourage you in your prayer of trusting God. Tell God your heart. Pray for the healing. Pray for the job. And I don't mean give God an out. I'm not saying, well, we better give God an out just in case he decides he can't do it. No. I'm saying be a man, be a woman, be a teenager of faith and say, God, it is your call. I'm trusting you. And if the person lives or if they die, if I get the job or don't get the job, my faith is not going to be affected because I trust you to be God. Incredible. Incredible. Apply this, and your disappointment level in God is going to drop dramatically. It's going to drop dramatically. In Western culture, we are. So, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the church service of the guy who said the rapture was going to happen uh, last night. I mean, I'm sure he's got an answer of some sort. I don't know. I'm telling you, when we let God be God, the disappointment drops a whole bunch. A whole bunch. One more, one more, one more. An unbelievable reunion. Peter, however, kept on knocking. Wouldn't you? Hey, let me in. Yo, we're in Jerusalem and their cars looking for me. Let me in. He, he, he kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. I reckon so. They had him dead. Remember that? Remember it? They had him dead. Not only is he alive, he still has his head. This guy, it is great. You've got to love the Bible. You've got, to, you've got to read the Word of God. It's incredible. It's incredible. They were astounded. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he explained to them how the Lord, God got the glory, the Lord, it's the strangest circumstance. Suddenly I was sitting there and the chains failed. You know, it must have been made in China. <laughs> No, he knew it was God. He knew it was God. Do you know it's God? Come on. In your life, do you know it's God? Junior, when you get that promotion, do you know that's God? When you don't get the promotion, do you know that's God? That's God. Whoops. Come on, amen? Come on, God. I'm telling you, it's huge. It's huge. He explained how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Report these things to James. Time out. What, James? James, the half-brother of Jesus. The other James is in glory. James Alphaeus is somewhere. Report to James, the half-brother of Jesus. Because he is the elder of the church in Jerusalem. And the brothers. Which you, only have, you kind of have to assume that, you know, that's, that's some of the apostles. I told David, I said, David, I got, I can't, can't forget to say this, I got to tell this. You know. Guess what? The pastor wasn't at the prayer meeting. No problem. You know, I am honored when you guys come to me and say, Pastor, would you pray? But I've got to be honest with you. I do not have a special end with God. There's not like this license when you get reverend in front of your name. That my prayers are heard more readily than yours. See, you have, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have full access. I'm glad to pray for you. But I'm telling you, my prayers are no quicker heard or anything than your prayers 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The preacher wasn't, and neither were the apostles. How what they were doing doesn't matter. But you don't need the preacher to pray. Isn't that cool? Go tell James and the brothers, and watch this, I like this last point. Then he departed and went to a different place. Why do you think he did that? Well, a couple hours. <laughs> a couple hours, Harry's going to get up and he's going to get this report. Uh, you're not going to hear what i got to tell you. But remember, Peter's supposed to die today. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But please, the Jews, votes. He's gone. What do you mean he's gone? He's gone. I mean, the guards, they were kind of napping off and, and they woke up and the chains were still attached to them, but, but Peter was gone. How incredible is that? And so what would you do? Well, we know what happens. First off, the guards lose their lives because they fail. But I bet there's a search. So Peter says, now listen, I'm getting out of here. Now, it'd be easy for Peter to do this. I'm going to stay right here at this prairie. Because if God delivered me once, he can do it again. I'm invincible. Yeah, you'd be headless too. Just because God delivered once that way, don't presume every time. Don't presume every time. He did the prudent thing. He did the wise thing and made himself unavailable. How wise is that? Incredible story. Incredible story. And I'm telling you, it all begins with this relationship and this journey. And we heard about how we've got to get the weight off and we got to get the sin out. We heard how that, that we really need to, to look into Jesus to often finish of our faith. But the journey is, is hard. And we've got to trust our running coach. And we've got to let God be God. Doesn't change. Still pray for the same things you prayed for. But it's just saying, God, I trust you. My faith is not going to be shaken. By circumstances. I'm going to trust you. Now I want to close this morning with a little bit of scripture from the book of Hebrews. It really nails down the truth. In case you're going, Dwayne, I don't agree with you and I think you're off base. Okay. I'm going to go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and read the scriptures we read last week and add a few more. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot, I still like that, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For a time will fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Sansom and Jephthah and also David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, Stop the mouth of the lions. Quench the violence with the fire. Escaped, escaped, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle. Turning to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Whoa, sign me up! That's what I'm talking about, escaping the sword. If I die, just raise me back up again. But it doesn't end there, does it? It goes on and says this. Others 
were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were delivered. They were stoned. They were cut in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, say all of these, all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They weren't delivered here, but they were delivered there. This week, something happened that could have been so tragic. Tim Borders was in the mine, and there's a cave here. And he was totally covered with coal. God in His wonderful, amazing grace, God in His sovereignty, chose to save Tim. Yes, he had wounds. He had a, a severe cut to the to shoulder area, contusions to the head, a broken wrist. But God in His mercy saved him. Aren't you glad? Amen. Come on. Yeah. Amen. It was God. It was God. You know, somebody said that if they hadn't had the helmet on, he'd be dead. No, it was God. And I'm grateful for that. But there have been others that did not walk away. I love the story of Max Licato, and I'll close with this. Max Licato had a young child. And one day the child fell into the pool and couldn't swim. And just in the nick of time, just barely, child was saved. He pulled him out CPR, was able to start breathing again. And Max Lucado was in his quiet time. And he was praying and saying, God, you are so powerful. You're so wonderful. You're so awesome. And Max Lucado said, it's as if God spoke to me and said these words. Would I have been any less powerful or any less wonderful if the child had not lived. God is powerful. God is wonderful. Regardless of the outcome or the circumstances. He is God. If God delivers us, He is good and wonderful. If God goes with us through the trial, He is good and wonderful. If it involves loss of life, and that, that loved one knew Jesus Christ, then we'll be together in a place called heaven. There were two jailbreaks. One sent James to heaven, and one sent Peter to the prayer meeting. God was good and wonderful in both. Would you pray with me, please? Now, guys, I'm your pastor. I'm not the new kid on the block. I'm your pastor. And this is so important. 
this teaching is so important because through my 11 years with you and in my own life, I've seen instances where I was so disappointed with God. I wish I'd known some of this teaching. And I hope I can grow in this teaching myself in coming days, weeks, months, and years. Because God is not a disappointing God. Even when Lazarus died. And Lazarus died and Jesus said, This sickness is not a death that might glorify God. That's the business He is in. Trust Him. Psalm says, only trust Him. Only trust Him. And I pray you do that. Now, I just need to throw out real quickly this thought. You know, the things, the journey I talked about, death, life, loss of jobs, they happen to, to believers and non-believers. It happens to Christians and non-Christians. This imperfect world has that kind of stuff in it. The two questions is this. You know, if you've never come to relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, the question is this. Do you want to journey through life alone or with God? Alone or with God? You're going to take the journey. And life is not going to be perfect. you want to journey with God or without God? In just a few moments, my friend Brent is going to be standing down front. And Brent would be glad to take the Word of God and show you how you can journey through life with God, with a relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ. Cool news. Nothing to do with church. Nothing to do with good works. Nothing to do with being perfect. It has to do with faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And agreeing to start the journey. Walking the journey in your life. The second question is this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the question is this. As you journey, you want God close or far? Now, we don't, He doesn't move. We move. We're the one who takes the crazy items. Now, I'm telling you as a pastor, a believer of 36 years and a pastor of 28 years, that the hard times I've had are a lot more bearable when God is close. There have been times I thought I could do it. I could handle it. And I was miserable. And the times I was closer with God, it was amazing. So that's the question you need to ask today. As a believer, am I willing to trust God and let God Father, we love you today. You're just incredible. And I'm so glad that you're so big, we can't get our minds, our arms around you. You're incredible. So, Father, for my friend here today, who's never come to relationship with you, who's never began the journey of walking with you through this life, my prayer is today will be the day. Life is hard, God. You know all about that. It was hard for your son. Father, only walk alone. Draw them to you today. Through your Holy Spirit. I know God those words that they probably don't understand. But put a tug in their hearts. Helping them see how much they need you in a relationship with you. Father, for your family today. For the believers in Jesus Christ. Forgive us the times when we want to make you our genie. And believe if we rub you the right way, we'll get what we want. Forgive us that false teaching. And God, for some, it's a stretch today. It's a stretch. Help us, Father. Help us, Father, to trust you. Help us to allow you to be God. And Father, we present ourselves to you. Ask that in Jesus' name.